Hello and welcome to A View From The Top. I'm Adrian Crawford. A View From The Top is a regular podcast from the Centre for Strategic Communication Excellence, where I interview some of the world's leading communication professionals as we explore their career journey. Today, I'm talking face-to-face in London with Jane Mitchell, who is the founder of JLM and director at Carrion and Box, and a faculty member with our Strategic Communication Excellence Group. Jane is an RSA fellow and currently works with organisations through the embedding of their values and ethics programs, helping them seek to develop healthy and positive corporate cultures. Jane connects the dots between seemingly disconnected activity to provide insights into the health of a culture. From these insights, she gets a view of what needs to be tackled, whether it's clarity of purpose and goals, values, leadership behaviour, decision-making, or quality of communication. She set up JL&M in 2005 after working years in uh, the broadcasting and communications work with clients all over and has tackled some of these difficult issues in companies such as Rolls-Royce, BA Systems, BP, Serco. But her career started at the BBC in London working on Tomorrow's World, Grange Hill and Blue Peter. So I'm really intrigued to find out a little bit more. That's where we'll start, I think. So hi, Jane, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, Adrian, and thanks for having me. I'm humbled to be labelled one of the world's leading communicators. I hope that I do you proud in this Uh, conversation. (laughs) I have no doubt, no doubt you will. And it's great to join you here in London. And it is actually sunny outside today. And of course, we're in podcasts, so you're going to have to... uh, uh, to pretend that you can view that, but I can guarantee you it's sunshine in London. <laughs> it is certainly beautiful. Blue sky. Thanks for bringing it with you. Uh, I, I'm more than happy to bring it any time. <laughs> so, Jane, I really would want to start with talking to you about your career. And, of course, I, I did say we wanted to start way kind of back in broadcasting. Is that where you defined your career in communication at starting? And what were some of the things you were doing? back then? Well, I'll try and circumvent what happened or summarise what happened at the BBC rather quickly. From the age of, rather the precocious age of 14, I always wanted to work in television uh-huh. and made a decision, uh, which I'm sure will become relevant later on in our conversation, made a decision not to go to university, but to focus on my vocation, which was making TV programmes. Mm-hmm. And back in the day when I joined the BBC, we weren't actually told, we couldn't decide where we were going to go. We were given a brown envelope. Once we were accepted into what was called then the Secretariat, we were given a brown envelope. So it was entire luck as to where you ended up. Wow. And you've already mentioned the programmes that I ended up working on. And two of those programmes were live, so it was live television. One of the things that working at the BBC really instilled in me from the ripe old age of 19, was that working in a cohesive team with a real sense of purpose Mm. is actually what underpins successful business. And so ever since then, I've sought that. Um, I left the BBC about six years into my career, with with great heartache, it has to be said, which I, it wasn't until 20 years later, which I'm sure we'll come to, when I realised why I had left. But it was essentially a matter of ethics and values, uh, okay. which didn't have a name back in those days. Yeah. yeah. So then I came outside, and my career took a different path. And I started working in a trade association where we had corporate 
big corporate organisations, some which no longer exist, such as British Rail and the GPA, GPO, who had their own film units, and production companies who were new then, because Channel 4 had only just started. So obviously I'm not giving dates away, but you can (laughs) (laughs) speculate yourselves. Get a sense, but you would never know it. You would never know it. Of course not. But that was playing a role in the centre of that, really, trying to get those production companies to learn the language of business, Ah, which is something that we often talk about in the association that you and I both belong to, the IABC, where we're always grappling for those conversations. So the association that we had sat right in the middle because corporate, large corporate organisations, unsurprising to anybody, I'm sure, were being told that they had to get rid of their internal film units. (laughs) Um, and when you had people like Benjamin Britten and um, oh, Ken Russell directing films for yeah. these guys, you can understand why it might have been a you know, rather expensive overhead. So that is how, I guess, I got into recognising that this was all about communication mm-hmm. in a roundabout sort of way. And the, you, you identified that really quite early then in, in your career. Thinking about some of the things that you then went on to do, because and we'll come back to that learning that you got from the, the BBC, certainly around you know, values and, and, and ethics, because that plays a big role in what you do today. But what were some of those other roles that you started to, to work in? Well, when, when I was uh, running the trade association with a very small staff, it became quite apparent that although, and funnily enough, it came up in in a conversation I was having in LinkedIn this week, is that although people had professed to be communicators, capital C, lowercase c, it doesn't matter. (laughs) We can all communicate, says everybody. What I recognised in that role, um, at BISFA as it was called, was that people did know how to communicate on a human level, but were somehow putting barriers in place whereby they couldn't communicate as well. And so subsequently, and as a part of working in that association, I was invited to work for a production company, a new production company. And the production company was a a sort of sub... uh, What would I say? A sort of sub-company to a very successful post-production company called the Moving Picture Company. And... We had lots of downtime in very, very expensive equipment. So they thought, well, we'll set up a corporate unit, we can work with corporate clients, yeah. who then, in those days, back in the 80s and 90s, money, it has to be said, was no object. Mm-hmm. We were making very, very fancy movies for yeah. lots of money. Um, and during that time, as that part of my career developed, what I understood from our clients was that they didn't have a real understanding of what it meant to make a video to communicate to staff. And by that, what I mean is that they thought that, you know, video was all brand new then, it was really exciting. Mm -hmm. Intranets, you know, I hate to say it, had not yet emerged (laughs) as a great channel for communication, but it was all about video. So anything that moved and looked pretty was very compelling. But what they hadn't thought about was how it fitted into something called wait for it, a communication strategy. Yeah. The, the, the question was, what do you mean a communication strategy? <laughs> we strategize with this thing called communication? <laughs> we just want to make a video that make pe- makes people feel good. Okay, well, that's a beginning, and what is it that you actually want them to do? So there was born during that whole time the notion of internal communications and employee engagement strategies, mm-hmm. 
which you'll be very familiar with. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you've been in this career that has evolved through the profession evolving. And it's, um, you know, it's still sad to start hearing some of those conversations where organisations still want just the video producing or the, the press release or whatever it may be. Um, but we've learnt, you know, and certainly you would have as you, you go through the career, the value of that business and business connection. What, what do you think has been, you know, and I'm not going to go through every job that you've, you've done, but was there a job in your career that really had the biggest impact on you and how you thought as a communication professional? What I'm really interested by is that there have been so many really big highlights and mm. fundamental moments. So, and I just feel very humbled by that too, that yeah. I've had that opportunity. Um, I think there were, there were two very significant relationships one was when I was at the I was at the point of inflection in my career and I was still making movies and you know I have to say because it's true that we made very successful movies and we'd been asked by a major international retailer to make one for their merchandising team and they had come in to the meeting and said we have £23,000 and we're very specific about the 23 (laughs) and we would like to make a movie and I've got all this data we'd like to show them the new spreadsheets and we'd like to talk about the new systems that we've got and we want everybody to be using the same system. Fundamentally that was it. Six months later we had made a full blown drama based on a merchandiser being knocked out by a golf ball (laughs) and him coming back as a ghost into an environment where there was another young merchandiser. (laughs) It won every single award that was going. That was a nice to have. But what was really interesting about that moment, apart from the fact that it took me to a point and I thought, I don't know where to go now in this career of movie making because (laughs) it doesn't get any better than that, was actually the understanding of the client that it was about storytelling and that in order to change people's behaviour, our skill as a communicator was to tell a really great story that made an audience who were probably expecting a data-driven video Mm -hmm. to just sit back and think, hang on a minute, and completely change their view, which is precisely what we did. So that was one moment. To hear those those points that that change you in your career, or the, yeah. all you learn from, and, and very early you you talked about the the learning point in the in the BBC that kind of goes into to play with what you're doing today, um, and so I I'm I'm really fascinated to hear working with clients certainly in this area of of ethics and values within organisations. I'm really fascinated to to learn a little bit more about what it is that you're doing now and. I got to it again by serendipity yeah. because it was about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and I was invited into an aerospace company and they gave me three projects, two of which were, or one of which was an employee engagement survey and the second was a code of ethics. Mm-hmm. What was a code of ethics? <laughs> I thought, okay, that's very interesting. And In this particular company, I had a code of ethics spiral bound as a draft version with a number on it. Only in this company would they have numbered versions. And I said, what's the numbered version? And they said, oh, it's for our board and so that we don't lose track of it. 
So I said, okay, well, we've got, you know, nearly 50,000 employees. Do you want them all to have a numbered version? No, 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 no. Anyway, that was just a digression. So I said, um, I said, so what would you like me to do with this? And they said, well, we'd like everybody to get one. Right. I said, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My response, exactly. And at the same time, working in parallel on the um, new engagement survey, not new to this company, but new for that year. And as I was working my way through this, I thought, hang on. There is a direct correlation here between how people are feeling working in this organisation and how they're going to behave. And there was born my new career. Because it also suddenly struck me that's precisely why I'd left the BBC, because there was a total disconnect between what they said and what they did. And for me as a communicator, I've always been really passionate about doing what you say you will. For me personally, it's very Mm -hmm. important. Um, My friends and my colleagues, I think we've all gathered together on the basis that we all believe the same. You know, and you're a good example of that, Adrian. And... So there was born a a whole sense of, actually, what does it mean to be a part of a corporate organisation? And more often than not, it doesn't mean much, I'm sad to say. And so, and I knew what that feeling was like Mm. at the end of my um, time at the Beeb. And I don't want other people to feel like that. Mm. And I don't think it's difficult for people not to feel like that. And I think that a code of ethics is a good catalyst, but if you just make sure that people get one, <laughs> it's frankly no use whatsoever. Mm. So that took me into this part of my career, which was helping organisations to understand that if they make very clear commitments in a global code of ethics, code of conduct, whatever it might be, then expect that to have some impact mm. on the way that people feel about working in the organisation the responsibilities that they take, the kind of leadership that's demonstrated, the tough decisions that they have to come up against. And it does take courage. Mm -hmm. But actually, for me, there's nothing more energising than having a conversation with a group of leaders or a group of staff who just think a code of ethics is something they put in the top drawer until they need it, to the point where they think, oh, okay, this can help me. This is an understanding about behaviours responsibility, accountability, consequences, managing dilemmas and, yeah. you know, all of the above. That's, and, and it's absolutely amazing the, the work you're doing. And I, I will flip back to something you said very early in the, the, the interview that you were humbled by the, the leader in our profession. And this is what I really think is, is something you're doing now is you are leading our profession. It's built on that experience that you've had. And now working with organisations on what is an emerging issue, which is sad that emerging issues is ethics, um, but it's becoming more and more relevant in, in what we'll be doing in our profession moving forward as we move into an, a new era of AI and, and new technologies where we, we will have to question a lot of you know, how we're, we're doing things. For me, you know, I, I'm very humbled to actually spend some time with you, somebody that has uh, led in our profession, IABC International, um, the region. Um, you're part of AMINA region for IABC as well uh, and doing some great things in, in your work. One thing I would really like to ask as we, we start closing out the interview is if you were to give a piece of advice to communication professionals around where they need to focus their energy now, what are what some of the things or one of the things they really should be focusing on 
now in their development? I was at an event earlier on this week, and it was an event that was run by the CIPR, a sort of sister organisation to the IABC, and we're great friends here in the UK. And they were running an ethics event. And what really struck me, which is getting to an answer to your question, was the fact that the communicators in the room were really intrigued by the notion of being involved in the world of ethics in their organisations. And I have maintained, particularly with the IABC audiences and conversations that we've had, that we as communicators are catalysts for great storytelling. And even if you have an imperative in an organisation that's tripped up, which is all about compliance... They need us. They need us as communicators to be able to tell that story that makes it matter to you, Adrian, or Mm -hmm. you, Shirley, or you, David, wherever you might sit, to say, this matters to me. Because much as I love the ethics and compliance function and the lawyers that go with it, they don't know how to communicate as well as we do. And so the learning for me the other night was that communicators beginning to understand and realise that actually they have a very significant role to play in making their organisations better places to work and to impact on the culture. So I think my, and I think I'm just more and more reinforced in the view that communicators can be unbelievably influential. Trust the fact that you can influence. Find the right way to influence and begin to tell these stories, even in these areas where you may not traditionally have felt that you have expertise, because you do. And it's unique in your organisations. And even if somebody says, well, we're all communicators, yes, that's true. But bring that out in people. Yeah. We're there to act as that catalyst. Yeah. And I think that's that's absolutely brilliant advice to be able to be the... Um, the person that that works with an organisation and brings the best of communication out in people. And I I think that's the the best advice, Jane. And and as as always, it's the sagest advice coming from you. And I appreciate your your time. It's always great to get together with you and and chat. And now we've done it in podcast format. It's fabulous. So thank you, Jane, for joining me today. You're more than welcome, Adrian. Thank you. It was great to just reflect and talk about that thank you for giving me the opportunity you are most welcome and thanks everyone for joining us today for our view from the top um, and look forward to catching you all next time thank you